Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to look into your worship order where you will find the sermon text that I'll be using for this evening. Uh, these are selections from Joshua chapter 2. We are continuing our Advent series on the mothers of Jesus, looking in the Old Testament at women who were mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Last week we looked at Tamar, and this evening we're looking at Rahab, and then in a couple of weeks we will look at Ruth and then Bathsheba. And all of these women have something in common, and it's more than their sex. They have similar experiences of abuse and of hardship and of scandal. Another thing they have in common is that they are all Gentiles. That means that they're non-Jewish people. They come from outside the covenant community of God. These are women from the nations that God used to preserve the promise to send a savior into the world who would crush the serpent's head. These women are the connective links between God's original promise in Genesis 3.15 and the birth of Jesus Christ and then finally to us. And we can say confidently that without these women, none of us would be here tonight. And so for those of you who feel that you connect with these women in various ways, praise God that you see his redemptive power and grace at work in them and what you see God doing in their lives. These are things that God can do in your life as well. And so you can take comfort in that. Due to the mystery of God's providence and mercy, these women are mentioned by name in the genealogies of Jesus. And this is interesting because in the time of Christ, it was unthinkable, unheard of to mention women in a list of a family tree. And yet these women find prominence there. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba are the mothers of Jesus. The other thing they have in common that I must impress upon you is that these women are the types and shadows of Mary, the mother of Jesus. You've heard of Harriet Tubman. You've heard of Harriet Tubman, a former slave woman who risked life and limb during the Civil War era to rescue other slaves on what was called the Underground Railroad. And it's likely that you've also heard of Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch Reformed Christian woman who is best known for hiding Jews from the Nazis during World War II and surviving a death sentence in a concentration camp. She went on to become an activist and a spokesman for justice throughout the world. But the woman I want you to focus on tonight is the woman who came long before Harriet Tubman and long before Corey Ten Boom, and it's likely that Rahab and women like Rahab inspired these other women to do the things that they did. Tonight we're going to meet Rahab, who is a mistress of the night. You'll see that she risked her own life to save others. She gave up her own citizenship on earth in order to become a citizen of heaven. And the thing I want you to notice about this is while we look at these three women I've just mentioned, Harriet Tubman and Corey Ten Boom and Rahab, 
You might look at each of them and say, well, they all did great things. Some saved more people than others, which is true. But what I want you to notice is that Rahab saved two men that made all the difference in the history of the world. Because by saving these two men, and only these two men, she in fact found salvation for herself, for her family, that eventually extends to us. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the scripture reading tonight from Joshua 2. And I'll be reading a lengthy portion of selections from Joshua 2, focusing on Rahab, the mistress of the night, or as we might refer to her, Rahab, the faithful prostitute. The word of God reads, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. That is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching and the hearing of his word and all the church says. May be seated. Spies sneak into the city of Jericho, but they're noticed. 
someone figured out that they didn't quite fit in. So they went looking for them. The spies had taken refuge in a bordello, also known as Rahab's House of the Rising Sun. It was common for travelers to take up refuge in places like that for the obvious reasons of their pleasure and thrill seeking, but also because these places served as inns, motels, places where you could lodge for the night. And it was also a place where you could go and hear the daily news. This is how Rahab has discovered what's been going on outside of Jericho and throughout the land far beyond the Jordan River. She's heard the news of what's happening out there, and she, com- she shares that news with the spies. But she has to go through a lot of cloak and dagger. She has to tell true lies in order to protect these spies from the king and from his police force. She hides them on top of her roof under these stalks of flax. And that might appear to be a detail in the story that you want to blow right over. But it tells us one or two things about Rahab. It could tell us on the one hand that perhaps she is on her way to giving up a life of prostitution. And now she has started this new industry. With these stalks of flax, she can make linen, which can be turned into garments. And maybe she's headed that direction. On the other hand, it could tell us that she hasn't quite given up the profession at all. Because we learn throughout the Old Testament that stalks of flax were often used to pay prostitutes. So that they would have a little side income, a little side hustle, if you want to put it that way. So we're not really sure. But the point is, this is a sign that this woman is leading a mixed up life. It's a house of ill repute. So we're not sure what she's up to, but that detail is important for us because it indicates that this is more than a motel, more than an inn. And the men have taken up lodging there. What's interesting about this exchange is the woman gets rid of the king and his police force, and then she goes to have a conversation with the men on the roof. I don't know if they came out from under the flax or if she just talked to the flax as if she were working. But she begins to recount to them what she understands about the gospel of Yahweh. This is the gospel according to Rahab. She says, I know, I know, I know. She repeats this because she has learned the news that God is at work in the world. And she says, I know. And her phrase here, I know, reminds us of a story in John 4. Remember the Samaritan woman speaking to Jesus, a woman who is very similar to Rahab, would say, I know, I know, I know. She wasn't going to let anyone tell her anything. Well, Rahab knows what's going on because in her house, the news was shared and spread. She knows the substance of who God is and what God is doing. She understands that Yahweh is at work in space-time history. These are not fantasies and myths and made-up stories. These are real things occurring around them. And so she knows the substance of who God is and what God has done. And when you listen to her recount the gospel, the good news... It's good news to her, even though it's bad news, bad news to Jericho. She recounts God as savior and points to his saving acts. This is an incredible testimony of faith. 
Whether she is aware of it or not, Rahab is doing something that's fundamental to the gospel is she is demonstrating missional hospitality. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews eleven thirty one that it was by faith that she was spared. And he, they use a, an interesting phrase there. It's because she gave these spies a friendly welcome, a friendly welcome. Don't underestimate the power of hospitality in your own life and bringing strangers and strange people into your home. Don't underestimate the influence that can have and the reward that God will bring as a result. She's demonstrating missional hospitality. And in the context of this, she is recounting to these spies the gospel that they've already lived, the gospel they already know and believe. And she's simply saying to them, I'm confessing with you the things that you have experienced. I believe they were true. I believe that when you came out of Egypt, God dried up the Red Sea. And the reason that's an important detail is because at this time, the Jordan River, which is not too far away from Jericho, is at flood stage, which means it's about a mile or so wide. It's going to take a lot of effort for the people of God to get across it. And Rahab is drawing conclusions here that if God can part a sea and dry up the passage for you coming out of Egypt, we know that that little river over there is not going to hold you back. This is the power of God at work in her life. She knows that they're able to bring down kings. And I think she's implying by saying, we know what you did to those two kings and how you devoted them to destruction She might be implying that those kings are stronger than our king. And if you could take those guys out, we know you can take our king out as well. And the point she gets to in all of this discussion of the gospel is that as this news of what God was doing in and among you and before you and around you, as that news was breaking into the land of Canaan and breaking into Jericho, The people were hearing the news and they were not scoffing. They were not making fun or making light of it. She says, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted. And it's interesting, isn't it? We've heard this kind of illustration before, but it's like the same sun that melts one thing hardens another. This is the same Yahweh who hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And yet the hearts of Jericho and Rahab are melting. At this news, she uses a very graphic description of what happens here. She says, you knocked the wind out of our sails. I mean, you took the wind out. There's no spirit left in the men. Everyone has given up on the inside because we are in the presence of the people of God. And we know your God is coming before you and ahead of you. And we can't withstand that. So it's her confession of faith and her explanation of the good news that explains why the city has melted in fear and why it fell lifeless before the presence of Israel. And it's based on this confession of faith and this discussion of the gospel that the spies realize she is an ally. She's for us, not against us. And while they had been sent by Joshua to go spy out the land and see what Jericho would be like and where the weak points were and what kind of army they had and pick up all those details that would be necessary in a military conquest, they discover more than they expected. God has people in this city. We can think back to other stories we've looked at in the Old Testament. Remember Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah 
asking God, if you find just a few, if you find just five righteous people there, will you spare the city? And God says, of course I will. He didn't find five righteous, but the point is, if he finds just a few there, that'll be enough for him. And the spies have come sent by Joshua, whose name means savior, to go spy out the land. And now they've sort of become missionaries in the land. We've got to rescue this woman and her household, this woman and her family. And so they begin to work out the details of what this is going to look like. And you see in this the exchange that there is a kind of covenantal language. They, they talk about swearing oaths and giving true tokens and sure signs. This is covenantal sacramental language. It's not enough just to have the words. We promise you that when we come back, you'll be saved. She said, no, I want a sure sign. I want a true token. And this word for true token is used throughout the Old Testament up to this point to refer to all kinds of covenant signs. It's the same word that's used to describe the rainbow that God set in the sky after the flood to say, I will never flood the world again. It's the same word that's used to describe circumcision when God gave this true sign, this true token to his people to say, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be a strong shield for you and I will deliver you. It's a true sign. It's the same word used to describe the plagues in Egypt. That God gave a series of signs that benefited both Israel and Egypt. It's the same word used to describe the Passover lamb. The blood of the Passover lamb at the time of the exodus. The blood that was smeared on the door frames of the homes where the people of God went in to escape the angel of death. It was a true sign. It did not fail. It pointed away from the people to the promises of God. It reminded them in a visible way that God had made promises and that God's power would keep those promises. In fact, when you read the story of Rahab and Jericho and the spies being there, you began to detect that there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Think about what's happening here in the context of the Old Testament. You hear echoes of the Passover in this story. Rahab does not want these spies to pass her over, to neglect her, to forget that she's there. She wants them to come and rescue her. The scarlet cord in the window reminds us of the blood smeared on the door frames of the homes when the destroyer passed through the land at the time of the exodus. And while the destroyer passed over those homes, it was God who dwelled with them. God who remembered his people. And Rahab is saying, remember me when you come into the land and remember these promises. And they say, we'll remember if you put this cord in the window. The scarlet cord is given to Rahab as a true token of the oath sworn by the spies. It guarantees that judgment will pass over her. It guarantees that judgment will pass over her and her household if they keep the faith, if they stay in the house, if they do not spread the news of the spies. Look at the household language here. Rahab is so wise and so gracious that she's not just concerned about herself, is she? She's concerned about her father, her mother, 
her siblings. She's concerned about her whole household. So it's not just remember me. It's remember me and all who are with me. This idea of covenant households is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament, isn't it? We're not making this up when we talk about the importance of all of our households drawing near to God for worship and living out the commands of God by faith. Echoes of the Exodus are seen when the spies say, do not go out of doors, do not go into the streets. You stay in this house. Now, they had no way of knowing what God intended to do to that city. But we know the end of the story, don't we? And we know that for them to say to her, you stay in your house that is built inside this wall. Any of us who have read the story should be trembling and thinking, I don't know if that was the best advice. Because we know what's going to happen to those walls. Those walls are going to collapse and crumble. And then what's going to happen to her? But they've told her to stay there. I want you to notice something in this story. And this is one of those times when I think seminary actually paid off. You see a great exchange here. And here's how it comes out. Rahab is going to send the spies away through a window. And she takes a rope and she lowers a rope out of the window and they begin to go down the rope. And as they go down the rope, they they pull out a scarlet cord. And they hand her the scarlet cord to remind her, hang this in the window. This is the sure sign. This is the true token. Now, I know what you're thinking at this point. I can't believe he used a prop. No. <laughs> the other thing you're thinking is, you went to seminary for that? <laughs> no. Here's where it pays off. The word used for rope is also translated throughout the Old Testament as the word for sorrow and labor pains. And then the word used for scarlet cord throughout the Old Testament is a word that's also used for hope and expectation. There's a play on words here. What is Rahab doing? She's lowering down. She is through great pain and sorrow, lowering them down. And they're handing up expectation and hope. What does that tell us about our life and our walk with God? I want to say to you, I know that life is rough for some of you. And that's not just empty pastor speak. I know that it's rough for some of you. But I want to encourage you with this. Keep extending your sorrows. Keep extending your labor pains. Keep stretching them out to the Lord. And what will he give you in return? Hope and expectation. He'll keep extending it to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's a true token. That's a true token. So we extend our sorrows and our pain to God. And God extends his hope and expectation back to us. But then we have to wait. And we have to wait without losing hope. And that requires us to wait even longer and wait by faith. And 
And then we find ourselves much like Rahab, sitting in the window, looking out and wondering if and when God will keep his promises. If and when the people of God will do what they promised to do for us. And so she waits. Chapter 2 ends. The spies run off. And then you're reading Joshua and you find out that these guys have a lot of other things to do besides report back and gather the army and come into the land. No, they go back and for several chapters you read that Joshua and the children of Israel are going to attack the city. But before they do that, all these other things happen. So first, they have to cross the Jordan River at flood stage with all of their women and children and possessions. And they can't do that on their own. So God comes and parts the water. He holds the water upstream and they pass through on dry ground and bring stones out to remember that we cross this river at flood stage by the power of God. And they pile them up on the other side. Twelve stones. All twelve tribes cross this land. We're no longer in the wasteland. We're in the promised land as God told us we would be. And now you think they're ready to go take the land. But no, before they do that, God says, now there's a generation of you men who have not been circumcised. I know you guys have been awfully busy grumbling and complaining in the wilderness and you didn't have time to keep my covenant. But instead of killing you, I'm going to let you cut off a piece of your foreskin. I'll keep you alive. But that part of you has to die. The water is now flowing behind them. City of Jericho is up ahead and the men are circumcised. The generation of them, all the fighting men laying around with fever and pain. It takes a while to recover from that minor surgery. They're not in fighting mode right now. They have to wait. They have to wait. They need time to heal and recover. And then finally, after several weeks The army is marshaled and the commander of the army of the Lord appears to Joshua and says, I'm leading this battle. And they go to the city and begin marching all the while, all of that to tell you that meanwhile, back in Jericho, Rahab and her household are having to keep tight lips. They're having to keep their end of the bargain. They're waiting and waiting And waiting by faith. Imagine. Imagine the feeling of shock and awe. As they watched the armies of Israel march around their city. Every few hours or so. They would pass by the window of Rahab's house. Imagine the shock and awe of hearing the trumpets blast. And the walls begin to groan and collapse while you are sitting in your house in the wall of the city. Imagine the feeling of the shockwaves as the walls came crumbling down around you. Have any of you ever been in an earthquake? Felt the tremors of an earthquake? I had this experience back in the early 1990s. I lived on the uh, I lived in an apartment building on the fifth floor. There was a tree outside the window where we sat in our dining area. And I felt this nauseous feeling in my stomach, in the pit of my stomach. I felt weird all of a sudden. 
And then I felt vibrations rumbling through the building. And I looked out the window and I wondered why the tree that was reaching to where our window was, why the tree was moving side to side. And then it occurred to me, no, our building is swaying back and forth. I jumped up to run out into the hall and run down the stairs. And one of my roommates grabbed me. He said, what are you doing? I said, I got to get out of here. And he said, no, 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 we stay here. He was from Peru. He said, we stay here. So when the building collapses, it makes them easier to identify us. (laughs) It was terrifying. And I wonder what Rahab and her family must have felt as this shockwave went through the city and brought down the walls around them. When all the dust cleared, Rahab's house and the wall is the only section that remains standing. This tells us something about the the precision of the salvation of God. He knows how to judge the wicked and at the same time preserve the righteous. The story shows us that even though there is fear and loathing all around us, in every heart, hearts melting with fear, even though our border security fails... God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will sit tight and trust him. We will be still and know that God is in our midst. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Joshua is our fortress. After the wall fell, Joshua sent two men who had spied out the land into Rahab's house. He says to them, Remembering their oath, remembering their promise and their sure token. Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. And so the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. That's all found in Joshua 6. And Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. We don't know how many were saved, but we know it was a significant number. And he puts them outside the camp. Rahab and her household experienced what we often call the already not yet truth of salvation. They were already saved the very moment the spies gave their covenant promise And the very moment she put that scarlet cord in her window, she was already saved in the mind of God and in the heart of God. But she was not yet saved in space time history, was she? She and her household were not yet saved until after judgment came and the walls fell and Joshua's messengers arrived at her house and delivered her. I want to say the same is true for you. The same is true for you and your household. God has given you a sure sign, a true token in baptism. He has given you a true sign and a sure sign of his covenant promises. Baptism is the sign and seal of God's promise to you and your children. It is the scarlet cord of hope that marks you all out from the world. And set you apart as the people of God. What God expects you to do is stay together in his house. 
Stay together in his house. Put your hope and your trust in him and in him alone. And when the time is right in due season, God will come and rescue you. As Rahab learned and then Lydia, we heard in the New Testament reading, if you believe on the Lord, you will be saved, you and your household. So do not underestimate the power of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, to save even the dirtiest and the yuckiest of sinners. If you find any hope at all in the salvation of Rahab, you should know that God is able to save even those that we would consider to be unsavable. I mentioned Corey Ten Boom earlier. I want to mention her again because she says this beautiful thing about faith. Faith is like a radar that sees through the fog to the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Rahab had that kind of visionary faith. She walked by faith, not by sight, and she was made right with God and then rewarded in this life and the life to come by grace through faith. Now, what does all of that have to do with our series on the mothers of Jesus? Joshua 6 tells us that Rahab has lived in Israel to this day. Because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. When my kids were little and we would drive around in the car, introducing them to a wide range of music, uh, there was a song by the band, The Police, that I've always liked. It always sparks family controversy due to the subject matter of the song. I would argue that the song was redemptive and that we should listen to it and enjoy it. Some members of my family didn't see it that way, and so we went back and forth on it. But now that I can use the bully pulpit, I want to say to you that I imagine Salmon singing this song to Rahab. Rahab, you don't have to put on the red light. Those days are over. You don't have to sell your body to the night. And thus Solomon, who descended from Tamar, took Rahab to be his lawfully wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. Solomon became the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. So by the mystery of providence, Joshua saved Rahab. And Rahab saved and preserved the seed line so that the true and better Joshua could come into the world to save sinners like us. Jerem Bars of Covenant Seminary in commenting on the late Francis Schaeffer said, One sermon on Rahab often comes back to me. Francis Schaeffer declared, We are all harlots. We have all prostituted ourselves constantly to other gods. 
There are many others of his sermons that have left this same indelible impression on my mind, but this is the one that comes back to me. Francis Schaeffer was right. And that is why on this evening we should be at least as surprised that God saves us as we are that he saved the prostitute Rahab. Such is the grace of God that is at work in our world. And such is the grace of God that reaches sinners like us, even us. Corey Ten Boom says, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Rahab the harlot found that out in true and beautiful ways, as you have as well, and as we still discover to this day. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And He has secured it, not with a piece of cord, not a rope, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. O Lord, lighten our darkness, we ask You. And by Your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And grant us the grace to turn back to You again and again as often as we turn away. Wipe away our tears, mend our broken hearts, bind up our wounds for the love of Your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh God, we are reminded in stories like this how much like our forefathers and foremothers we are. Their lives are played out before us for all to observe and scrutinize and see, and our lives are often hidden. People do not know the ways we prostitute ourselves and do not know the ways we sell ourselves for lesser things. They do not know all of the ways that we stray from you and doubt you and forsake you. And yet you are faithful to us because you are faithful to your son, Jesus. And his spirit cries out from among us, Abba, Father, reminding us that we are members of your family. I pray you grant us all the grace of repentance. That you give us a true confession of faith to cling to. That we will hang the blood of Christ and the promises of the covenant of grace in the windows of our hearts. So that when judgment comes upon the world and passes through, you will remember us. And you will be satisfied with what Jesus has done for us in securing our salvation. You will be satisfied with what Jesus has done for us in absorbing the judgment. And you will be pleased to save us and shield us from your wrath. We give you all the praise and the glory for the person and work of Jesus, the true and better Joshua. His messengers have gone through the world and have reached us and we have heard their good news and echoed it back to them. For we know that you are at work in the world and that you are bringing deliverance through the person and work of Christ at the cross and by his spirit.
In all these things we give you thanks and praise. Amen.